think about a young person, a child growing up, always hearing the word gay used to describe something negative. How does that person then feel when they start to think about their identity and think that that word is something that they would associate with their identity, that everybody has used as an insult? It doesn't matter that people don't mean it in an offensive way. It is offensive. Mm. Words are powerful. I've always been brought up to believe that love comes from God and if two people love each other, then that's a gift from God and it doesn't matter who those two people are. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better Please make me better I want to get better 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 acquainted with you Today we're getting better acquainted with Heather. Hello Heather. Hello! (laughs) And uh, my voice is a little bit worse for wear it seems. And you haven't had much sleep. No. I'm uh, currently six months pregnant and uh, the ailments of pregnancy mean that I don't get a lot of sleep these days. Yeah, three months to go. Yes, indeed. Wow. The first question that I ask people is, how do you know me? How do I know you? Well, I think I should answer that in two parts mm. because I did, I did know you back when I was at Lancaster University studying theatre studies because you were in the year above me also studying theatre studies. I didn't know your name. I knew you as a pyjama boy because I used to see you going to lectures in what I think were pyjamas. I think I had pyjama bottoms. I yeah. used to like And you always yeah. used to have a hat. You always had a hat. Yeah, I did. Well. And quite a lot of hair, I remember. Yeah, long hair, hair at the time, yeah. And you were like this kind of mysterious character that everyone in our year used to talk about and you used to sort of challenge the lecturers and things. So we thought you were this sort of really interesting, exciting, enigmatic person. And then uh, obviously several years later, I started dating a friend of yours, yeah. Tim. Um, so then I was introduced to you sort of properly and formally as Dave. And it was like, wow, it's Pajama Boy. And it was really <laughs> exciting. And I told all my friends, even though it was like four years later or whatever, told all my friends that, uh, you know, I'd, I'd met Pajama Boy and his name's Dave and he's a real person. It's really weird to think about the idea <laughs> that I've sort of got some kind of a, a kind of, I don't know, reputation Legend, in, the, yeah. Yeah, in, in the year below me. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and, and now you're married to that, 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 that gentleman, Tim, uh, and uh, I, I, I gave a reading at your wedding, which Indeed. was a surprise to me again as well. So From Captain Carelli's Mandela. That's right. I got the kind of uh, the non-religious yes. reading, <laughs> kind of representing the non-religious at the, at the wedding. So the second question that I ask people is, what do you do now? I work with young people. I work for a local council. And my job title is Youth Participation Worker, which basically means my job is to make sure that the young people who live in the area where I work or go to school or college in the area where I work are able to be involved in decision-making. That's summing it up in one sentence. If I was to explain exactly what I did, it would bore all your listeners no, and take I've, a really I've got long mine down time. to a sentence now. <laughs> um, too, yeah. But basically, through a whole variety of activities and opportunities, I enable young people to contribute to decision-making, to make sure services meet their needs, to make sure policies reflect what young people want from particularly local government services, but also the third sector. Has youth work always been a sort of a passion of yours, or is it just something you fell into? My mum um, was a community youth worker, so growing up I always got taken to various projects and she actually worked in a really deprived area of Manchester and she used to take me on to like youth clubs and things sort of in this area and it was a real eye-opener for me really seeing some of the different experiences that different young people had and also 
seeing firsthand the impact that the work my mum and, and others of her colleagues did had on those communities. And I'd always, from a young age, sort of wanted to work with either children or young people. I think I probably, like a lot of people who want to work with young people, thought I'd be a teacher, because growing up, that's kind of the most contact you have with adults as children and young people are teachers in a professional capacity. So that was kind of like, oh, if I want to work with children, I'll be a teacher. But I loved theatre, so I went to university to study theatre. And in my second year, took, I don't know if you'll remember, Dave, the Radical Theatre module, which is yeah. all about theatre, not in performance. So thinking about not just theatre and education, but theatre as therapy and all, all sorts of ways that you can sort of use drama. Did, um, did Were you in the same Radical Theatre course? Like, you weren't in my actual... Because it was mixed no, years, it wasn't no. my actual... Because that was the no. only thing I got a first in in all oh. of the theatre. And we did, we did theatre and education. Oh. It was really good. Well, we did. Um, we really wanted to look at kind of the idea of drama therapy. And we did it in a day centre for people with mental health issues and did drama workshops with them. And it was really, really rewarding. And it sort of reaffirmed that, you know, I really wanted to... I mean, that wasn't young people, it was just working with people, but it reaffirmed that I wanted to do something that was helping people and sort of helping people to engage and be part of something. And particularly, I think, people get an awful lot out of being part of a group and taking part in group activities. And then during holidays of university... I worked for MENCAP as a care assistant, so working on play schemes, supporting young people with disabilities, doing all sorts of different activities. And I also helped out at the Lancaster University Summer School for a couple of years, so getting sort of lots of experience with young people and volunteering on all the projects my mum was working on all the while. So I had sort of a lot of experience under my belt. And when I came to graduate, I kind of realised there were two distinct routes. There was the teaching route and there was a youth work route. And at that point, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. So I applied to do a PGCE and I applied to do a postgraduate diploma in youth and community development studies and I got accepted onto both but the experience I had at the interview for the diploma in youth community development studies just felt right. I know that sounds really cheesy but the conversation I had with the lecturer in my interview about values and beliefs and what I wanted to get out of my career and what I wanted to achieve and what I hoped I'd be able to bring to such a profession and stuff just really made me feel like yeah this is where I want to be and it is very very different to teaching I think I think I probably would have enjoyed being a teacher but nowhere near as much as what I'm doing now because I get to I'm in quite a privileged position because with youth work most of the time you're in a voluntary relationship with young people so they are engaging with you because they want to not because they have to you have a little bit more freedom and you're sort of able to engage with young people on their terms whereas I think teachers are quite restricted really in terms of the methods they're allowed to use, Mm. the things they're allowed to do. I mean, there's bureaucracy in any job, but I think particularly for teachers, there's just a lot more constraints than there are with youth work. Well, they've got to enforce a national curriculum. And that's... Whereas youth work, I assume, is a little bit like some of the work I do, where you sort of have to set your own targets. You do have to have targets, but you have to work out what, what is needed. It's all... It's changed an awful lot over sort of the past five or six years and without launching into a whole big discussion about the coalition government and changes to legislation and how youth work's been you know scrapped and youth services across the country have just been annihilated there is an element of truth in that so five or six years ago there were specific targets from the government about things that they wanted youth services to achieve whereas now obviously the 
with sort of the localism idea, it's it's much more down to local councils to set agendas. So there are targets and things that I'm expected to meet as set by the local government. But how I meet them, I have a lot of freedom That's about. Right, so yeah. how I engage with young people is, I think, depending on the kind of school you're teaching at, there can be a lot of restrictions. So teachers are expected to teach in a particular way. Yeah. Whereas I get to be really creative and find the best way of engaging with any particular group of young people and one of my absolute favourite groups to work with are those young people that have been sort of written off at school if you like I work with a lot of young people who've disengaged with education and try and find ways of supporting them and working out how we can best help them to get back on track if you like because I do believe that our education system fundamentally fails an awful lot of young people because it's set up to cater for a particular type of young person and if you are academic and you are someone who thrives going through an exam process Mm -hmm. then I think you'll do great in our education system but I don't think we do enough to value emotional education to value the all the variety of different skills and wonderful things that young people have and can contribute to society without being good at maths English or science. No sure I mean I even I think even kids who thrive at the exam system I'm good at exams I'm not proud of it because I'm not. I don't, I don't have to try, and uh, don't. But those exams don't represent me learning stuff. Like I actually think when I look back at my school school time, I, I, there's loads of stuff I could have learned if I hadn't have just been ticking, you know, just doing no work and getting the exams. That's not learning. And I don't That's know. How, yeah, myself, and I don't know how we decided that that was the value of an education is about, you know particular qualifications and we forget about all the kind of life skills and Mm -hmm. things you need to be able to have a a fulfilled life so there's a lot of young people that like you say do very well academically but then they make decisions they make make decisions that they regret things they'd possibly like to do differently and often it's because there is a whole lack of information that they get at school so there's there's no emphasis on learning about how to have positive relationships for example and what what does a good relationship look like and how do you have a positive how are you respectful to others and how do you make the best version of yourself and how do you recognize if if something's good or bad and make those positive decisions life skills things like really practical things like budgeting and cv building and practice interviews even work experience i mean this government has taken away it's not it's no longer compulsory to deliver work experience and the funding that was given to schools to do work experience isn't there anymore so the result is most schools don't offer it and young people are outraged they're sort of saying you know we don't get any opportunity the job market is so tough anyway at least work experience is something that we can put on our cv it's something we can learn from helps us decide what kind of career we might want Mm. to get into and that's all gone and there's just so much emphasis on the maths english and science that everything else is squeezed out i mean sex and relationship education is another really good example we have sort of one of the highest teenage pregnancy rates in europe yet we still don't seem to be understanding that the way to help young people make informed decisions is to educate them. And there's some really alarming statistics around if you look at some of the more Scandinavian countries and you speak with young people about their early instances of sex or their, their first experiences of sex and you ask them why they did it, in most of those countries they will talk about because they were in love and they were in a relationship and these things. And if you ask young people in the UK, a lot of them will say because my friends were doing it and it seemed like that that was what was expected and that's what I should be doing. And the difference 
in education is huge. When you look at how they handle it in these countries where young people are talking about positive relationships, they start this kind of education from age five, not talking to five-year-olds about sex, but mm. talking to them about friendships and relationships yeah. and what they mean. And I don't understand why we're so resistant to that kind of idea in this country. Well, I think I, I, you know, from my family, I think I had uh, that sort of conversation, those kind of conversations much earlier than I did at school. And, mm. I'm, I'm, you know, I think I'm kind of lucky to have had that in my family. And I think there's a lot of people who didn't have that in their family. And even having the amount of conversation about it that I had, I still had lots of things I didn't understand about mm. sex. I mean, there's, it is a hard thing to get your head around. My big, big, big pet peeve, and I know that you know this, but obviously your listeners won't, is around education, around same-sex relationships, yeah. and the fact that that is pretty non-existent. Unless you're at a really progressive school, you, you will get very little in terms of information and advice and just knowledge that, you know, not everybody is heterosexual. And that's yeah. something I feel really strongly about, that in in an ideal world, I would like children to be learning from age naught that not everybody is heterosexual. And once again, it isn't about talking to young people about sex. It's about saying to, you, to young people, you know, oh, and some people, when they grow up, they have boyfriends, some people have girlfriends. Look, there's all different types of families, there's different types of relationships, and being really inclusive. I mean, even when you learn sort of in biology about sex and reproduction in biology, yeah. how, why, why, how difficult would it be for teachers to say, well, this is how, um, if two heterosexual people want to... Um, reproduce this is what happens but just the very nature of saying that acknowledges that not everybody is heterosexual or acknowledging that there are many species that have homosexual relationships Uh, well relationships is a human humanized word but activity yeah Uh. I, I know that a lot of people think that it's a lot of people would think it's me being really picky and would think oh you know you're making a fuss about something that doesn't need making a fuss of and you know we've all accepted that there's homosexuality in the world it's fine it's not an issue anymore but I'm I know that it is an issue and it is an issue particularly for young people who grow up in a society and 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 in families that presume they are heterosexual because we as a society presume everyone is heterosexual unless they tell us otherwise we get very angry if people don't tell us otherwise we somehow feel like we're entitled to know if, if if somebody is not heterosexual whereas if children grew up in a world where they know that some people are some people aren't it'd be a non-issue it'd be something you know that's just part of your identity and as you grow up you develop feelings obviously as as young people you get you get crushes you fancy people and wouldn't it be wonderful if you were in a world where you were just free to explore those feelings and not feel under any pressure or feel any guilt or feel like oh gosh what's wrong with me why don't why don't I fancy boys like everybody else does most people have a non some non non non-heterosexual experiences in their life no matter how heterosexual they are I mean I think that's that's part of working out who you are and stuff like that and 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 it's it's really funny how you know historically people can put these things into different kind of categories like you know for years in boarding schools boys have been doing stuff to each other for fun uh but they have been heterosexuals doing that. Do you know what I mean? It's very much like we can't explore, we can't ask about ourselves a little bit more because and people we're so are, scared. Yeah. Well, people, scared is the word. Like People are af- afraid and there's still this idea. People get really, really het up when you start talking about children. And about, yeah. Obviously, um, I mentioned that I'm pregnant and my husband and I have talked about how we'll bring up our son. We know, we know he's a little boy. And, um, and we've sort of said... 
that I, just, I would not want to presume his sexuality. And that isn't about saying to him all the while, you know, hammering on about, about sexuality, yeah. but it's just about being inclusive. So as he's growing up and learning and playing, we'll be saying things to him like, oh, yeah, or when you get older, if you have a boyfriend or you have a girlfriend, we're going to tell them about this that you've done. And there's some wonderful storybooks for children that are really inclusive and they look at different... I have two mummies, different families. There's a really lovely true story about penguins in Central Park Zoo that they've turned into a beautifully illustrated book for children. And the story is about... Um, mating season in the zoo and all the penguins pair off and these two male penguins pair off together and make a nest and obviously time goes on and the couples of penguins are laying eggs and every day the zookeeper noticed that the two male penguins would be like looking to see if they hadn't laid an egg and obviously they hadn't because they were two boys and um, one of the other couples of penguins knocked their egg out of their nest and sort of rejected it so the zookeeper gave this egg Wow well, that's, that's the thing that's been clock. ticking for the whole time, and it's a grandfather <laughs> clock. We're in, uh, we're in the residence of the, the. We're in the kingdom residence, which is my friend Richard's family house, and that's where we are. We've had a din- <laughs> dinner, dinner, dinner together. All a load of people from uni last night, and that's why we're snatching these moments here. <laughs> so, so the zoo- anyway. yeah, the zookeeper gives this egg to the, this couple of male penguins and they, they take it in turns to sit on the egg to keep it warm, to nurture it and eventually the egg hatches and they, they care for this baby chick and the chick grows and is nurtured and obviously grows up and so the cycle continues and it's an, it's an absolute beautifully illustrated book of a true story so the yes goes to show that is isn't just humans that uh, yeah. um, have, have homosexual people among them yeah. um, and I think it's things like that that you can have an inclusive environment for your child so our son growing up will know that not everybody is heterosexual and as he does start to get older and starts to develop feelings whatever those feelings are he will be affirmed that we have no prior expectations of him and he can be free to be whoever he is and we will love him no matter what and there will be absolutely no issue and I would also hope that bringing him up like that would encourage him to challenge some of those prejudices that Mm. I know exist in the world already I, I feel really strongly that if you say nothing, then you're almost as bad as... You're complicit in it, if you like. Well, I think one of the biggest ways that you change... Yeah, the one of the biggest ways that people's opinions change is to know people who mm. are gay. And you can only know people who are gay if they're out. Yeah. And they'll only be out if they feel safe yeah, to be absolutely. out. And so when, when you're talking about like educating people in school, it's kind of necessary at the moment. Like, in a way, in the future if everybody was out if you had gay teachers who were openly gay they wouldn't really need to be the same kind of you know you talk because you talk but you wouldn't have to sit down and actually address that issue specifically like I think that's why people kind of resist it because they're like well why should we make that one issue a big issue to mm. everyone well it's because it it is a big issue for everyone I think because even as a heterosexual man coming up I felt the pressures of mm. uh, of that, to use a terrible word that will alienate everybody, heteronormative yeah. uh, society has been a pressure for me as a heterosexual man. So, and, and probably for yourself as, as, as a heterosexual, I assume, woman. And, uh, you know. A phrase I really like is uh, heterosexuality is not normal, it's just more common. Yeah. Because I hate this idea of normal and abnormal because I really believe that it creates an idea of status and says that the normal is good and abnormal yeah. is bad. 
The other thing I think that is particularly in schools, I mean, we do a lot of work around homophobia in schools as part of my, my job. There's a real issue over language, and I think language is a really powerful thing. And yeah. I'm sure everybody will have heard the word gay used in a derogatory way. So mm-hmm. that's so gay, stop being so it. gay, those trainers are so gay. Yeah, and well, a lot of people think, well, yeah, but I'm not homophobic, I'm not. I'm not meaning it in a nasty way about gay people. I just mean that something's stupid. And what I would really want people to understand is you need to think about the connotation of that word. Think about a young person, a child growing up, always hearing the word gay used to describe something negative. How does that person then feel when they start to think about their identity and think that that word is something that they would associate with their identity, that everybody has used as an insult? It doesn't matter that people don't mean it in an offensive way. It is offensive. Mm. Words are powerful. And we need to reclaim... I'm not saying that people shouldn't use the word gay. I'm saying they should use it in the right way. I don't think it's a negative word. I think it's an adjective that describes a particular type of sexuality and it's neither positive nor negative. But until people stop using it as an insult it's always going to have well, it used to have a very kind of, it used to have a very positive yeah. connotation it used to be happy yeah. it used to be you know joyful um and there is an element to being comfortable with your sexuality that that, that still applies to you there, but there are lots of gay people who are not feeling very gay because they are so yeah, badly yeah. treated around you know around them by society but i think you know for middle class people in this country it's much better than it's mm. ever been for, to be gay don't think that's the case for all classes I mean you work with kids who are feeling like uh, uh, who are gay I guess mm-hmm. uh, LGBT youth yeah. I guess to, to each other being gay bisexual transgender and questioning we have LGBTQ <clears throat> yeah, because obviously well, there's that like you said earlier there is that there's that acknowledgement that for not it's not cut and dry for everyone sexuality isn't for everybody, an instant known entity. No. For a lot of young people, it's a journey. Well, it's shifting. Yeah. For adults, too. I mean, there are lots of people who spend a lot of their time as lesbians and then mm. decide to settle down in a, in, a, in a couple, you know, with a man later on in life. That's not a... That's a that's fine. That's, that's a life choice. At the choice. end of the day, we don't choose who we fall in love with. It, we, it happens. Yeah. And well, or, or who we fall in lust with. I mean, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like The one thing, I guess, that, that people say about it is that I think one of the reasons people are afraid of uh, same-sex marriages and uh, having children is that they're aware of the bullying that the child will receive having two dads or two mums in school that it, that, 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 and they think that that's kind of unfair on that child. What do you think about that? I, I, I have heard this argument countless times. I've had this discussion with friends, with colleagues, and to be perfectly frank, it makes me really angry we do not lower ourselves to to the lowest tone, if you like, or make ourselves acceptable to the lowest form of abuse and, and say we need to challenge those ideas. It's no good pandering to those kind of prejudices. I mean, otherwise, if if people decided, oh well, we just we won't bother challenging it, we'll, we just won't have it. We would we probably would think about how far we've moved in terms of racism. Yeah. We'd still have exactly. black people sitting at the back of the You wouldn't buses. have mixed race children yeah. because they might get bullied, Absolutely. so you would never it's have... It's an absolute yeah. non-argument. If people are going to bully children because they have same-sex parents, we need to be challenging those prejudices and challenging those bullies. Not saying to a loving couple who want to be parents and love and support a child, oh no, you can't do that because we're a bit afraid that these 
these ignorant people might not like it. We need to educate those ignorant yeah. people. I, ju- I mean, I think it's a ludicrous argument and a, and a frightening one because once you start going down that road, who else? Do we just stop standing up for people? Do we just start saying, just keep it quiet, keep it to yourself, then you know you won't get picked on then? It's that same argument of, well, you know, gay people shouldn't be so flamboyant and so out there, then yeah. they wouldn't be victims of hate crime. Yeah. I mean, it's awful. It's yeah. absolutely awful. And it's selfish and cowardly. The, it's saying, I, I'm afraid to challenge you. I'm not prepared to stand up and say that that's wrong. I'd rather just, you know, pretend that it's not happening. Yeah. Well, on that note, a uh, very excellent note that I fully endorse. Uh, we're going to pause this and have some breakfast. <laughs> so um, what we were talking about is, was LGBT issues, really. And... It's interesting that this is something that you are involved in because you're a person of faith. Would, would that be right yeah, to say? Yeah, yeah. Both my parents were actually missionaries for the Methodist Church. That's how they met. They met at Missionary College and spent time in Africa um, before me and my brother were born. So we've been sort of brought up in the Methodist Church, if you like. I would consider myself to be a Christian. I, would, I believe in God. But I get incredibly frustrated with... Christians, if you could see me, I would be doing Christians with air quotes over the word Christians, who are very judgmental and particularly around issues around homosexuality. Because for me, and the way I've been brought up by my parents, there is absolutely no conflict between homosexuality and Christianity. Both my parents have gay and lesbian friends. We've, I've always been brought up to believe that love comes from God, and if two people love each other, then that's a gift from God, and it doesn't matter who those two people are. It's a very inclusive world that I've sort of been brought up into. This whole concept of, you know, homosexuality being against the Christian faith is very alien to me, and it's something that I realised was out there as a notion as I sort of got older. Yeah. It's something that makes me quite angry because I've had lots of arguments with what I would class as right-wing fundamentalist Christians (laughs) about the rights and wrongs of certain things, and it's something I've done a lot of research into and a lot of reading, and to say that the Bible is made up of however many thousands of verses, I think there's only six which actually mention anything that people can use to reference homosexuality. And there's all sorts of evidence about why some of those passages may have been misconstrued. I mean, we need to take into account the fact that the Bible's been translated and translated and translated and translated. And the Bible does kind of reference that sex should be part of a loving relationship. And it sort of frowns upon promiscuity, if you like, and talks about those kind of things. But it doesn't ever at any point talk about the sex in terms of a loving relationship between two men or two women and certainly if you're a Christian and you believe in Jesus and all that then Jesus never ever mentioned homosexuality at all so clearly it wasn't a major issue I mean I've heard the Archbishop of Canterbury speak about this issue and his view is very much that when the Bible was written people didn't understand human sexuality we have a much better understanding of the way that humans develop emotion and develop feelings and we can't just ignore that and pretend we don't I mean the the phrase that people always throw at you is, it says in the Bible, man shall not lie with a man as he does with a woman. But that phrase is in a list of about 500 laws um, in the Old Testament that people were expected to live by and also includes things like you should not wear clothes of mixed fibres. Um, it talks about what's a reasonable value for your daughter if you sell her into slavery. Yeah. You shouldn't touch pig skin. Women should go, when they're on the period, should go into a cave for seven days. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's... I mean, there's scores and scores of these laws which nobody seems hung up on. I mean, I, I know lots 
lots of fundamentalist Christians who aren't really careful about what they wear and making sure that you know they don't have clothes of mixed fibres. Another example, you shouldn't have differing crops in the same field. Are, are these fundamentalist Christians really careful about where they buy their groceries from, making sure that you know their pet- potatoes are grown separately to whatever other vegetables they're buying? Yeah. It, it annoys me that people can pick and choose bits of the Bible and use it for oppression. I mean, I'm not, to be honest, I'm not that interested in the Bible. For me, being a Christian is about a personal relationship with God. And I think anyone, you don't have to be Christian to have a relationship with God. And equally, there's people who are very spiritual and they wouldn't class themselves as under any particular religion, but they have, you know, that sort of, they connect with the world around them, if you like, and have a sense of spirituality. And I just think we are religion is used to oppress people and used to try and make people conform and do certain things and I don't buy into any of that I think it's it's a personal journey it's your faith is a personal thing my relationship with God is personal to me I can't tell someone else how they should have a relationship with God because their experience of life the world faith religion is very different to mine <coughs> and I, that's exactly how I see it and for me being a Christian is about caring for people around you that's the legacy that I think is left by the Bible if you if you read the Bible and forget all the sort of specifics and the laws and this and that the overall message is love one another <laughs> which is yeah. you know and uh, which is the same for most major religions not just Christianity the idea being that we're on this earth and we, we're all equal and we all share this this world, this life, and we should do the best we can to make life good for other people. That if we all if everybody looks out for each other we'd have a you know, quite a nice place to live. <laughs> <laughs> and so was the faith that you grew up in, was that I mean, was that there was the homophobia within the faith that you grew up in? Really, really not. And when I was about I mean I don't know if I've just been really lucky in the the church that I went to maybe it was really liberal really forward thinking I don't know when I was about 18 or 19 the minister at the church asked me if I in a service I would talk about my vision for a church for the future and uh, by this point I'd started to realize that there was a lot of homophobia out there I used to go to a youth club actually at a different church it was nothing to do it was a friend of mine went to a youth club at a different church so I used to go to it from the age of I guess about 14 or 15 and um, this particular church was very much of the kind of fundamentalist evangelical Christian ilk and were very like they talked about hell a lot and if you do this you're going to go to hell and if you do that you're going to go to hell and you mustn't have sex before you're married and it was all it was all this was totally alien to me this concept of being a christian is about what you don't do i'd been brought up that being a christian was about being caring and about what you do do not about what you don't do anyway and i had friends that were gay and so and i'm naturally quite a a strong-minded person anyway so I, I just took great objection to a lot of the things that they were saying and naturally kind of challenged the leaders if you like I got thrown out of um, that particular youth club for having friends which were gay <laughs> so so I was very aware that there was this notion of uh, homophobia based on Christianity if you like or based on faith so when the minister at our church asked me to talk about my vision for a church for the future I was like right okay this is a really good opportunity me to talk about how I feel as like you know a a young woman as it were and but also I'll be honest there was a little piece of me that wanted to test this church that I'd grown up in and test the congregation and think is everyone as forward thinking as I am because although people aren't saying anything to the contrary people aren't shouting out either so so I, I talked about my vision for a church for the future and I talked about the fact that I feel that 
churches should be community resources and that isn't about trying to convert people to Christianity it's about it being a place where everyone in that community feels safe that they can come and use if you've got a mums and tots group if you've got a cafe if you've got whatever resource you've got in the building people don't need to be religious to come and use it because for me that's what being a Christian's about it's about mm. you know having having safe spaces where people can just be themselves and being kind if you like so I talked a lot about that and um, the fact that a lot of people really hate going into churches and feel you know very uncomfortable and that it shouldn't be like that they should be really accepting places and then I talked about homosexuality and my view and the fact that you know it says in the bible that love comes from God and therefore if two people love each other that should be celebrated I talked about gay marriage and feeling that I would hope that it's something that the, that would change legally so that same-sex couples could get married and have it recognised as a marriage, but also in terms of churches, that I would hope that churches would embrace that opportunity as well. Anyway, so I stood up and did this whole kind of speech, if you like, um, and went and sat down, and after the service finished... I must have had 20 or 30 people of all different ages. I mean, most of the people at the church were probably over 50. I mean, I'm sure you're not surprised by that. That's what churches are like. And I had not one word of criticism. People were just overwhelmed. I'm I'm really pleased with what you said. I totally agree. I, I think it's fantastic. Can we have copies? They wanted copies of what I've said. They printed it in the church newsletter. And that's the kind of church I've grown up in. I always remember the minister doing I think it was at Christmas time and he was like obviously they do sermons as part of the service and I always remember him talking about the fact that on one side of him his next door neighbour was Jewish and on the other side of him his next door neighbour was Muslim and he was talking about how it's Christmas and we're celebrating and how he gave them Christmas cards and he was saying I didn't give them Christmas cards to say you know I'm a Christian and you should be a Christian too I gave them them Christmas cards just to say you know I'm, I'm thinking of you at this time of year and wishing you well kind of thing and I, I, he said I have no I am under no desire to try and convert my neighbours to Christianity they have very fulfilled relationships with God one knows God through Judaism one knows God through Islam why would I presume that they're going to have a better relationship with God knowing God through Christianity and it was just this really inclusive way of looking at it and I remember the stark contrast of that with this other youth group at this other church close by. Just thought, wow, how can you have two such completely opposing views, apparently, that are from the same religion and yeah. believe the same things? It, it, I was, I mean, I was obviously quite young then, and just really, it really amazed me, sort of how different people could be. And it's, it's always made me very, very angry. And but I've always felt that. If I tell anyone I'm a Christian, I feel like I need to immediately excuse it and say yeah. to people, but I'm not judgmental and I'm not, I don't think this and I don't think that. And like sort of justifying myself, if you know, yeah, if sure. that makes sense. And I think that's very sad. But unfortunately, there are a lot of very outspoken so-called Christians out there that will quite happily, actively incite hatred and happily promote homophobia. And not just homophobia, but intolerance to all sorts of maybe not intolerance to other religions that's probably unfair but there are christians who and i suppose people of all different religions who will go around saying i'm right you're wrong you should believe what i believe and again that's completely contrary to the world that i've grown up in and how i understand faith and how i understand christianity and i don't think i'm that unusual i think there's a lot of people who think the way i think in terms of faith and probably have similar beliefs but unfortunately, we're not necessarily the people that are shouting about it. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, yeah, by, na- by nature yeah. of what you believe, you don't believe exactly. you should go around Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So there seems to be like two strands that have fed into this youth youth work uh, passion or kind of calling, if you like, that you've got. In that you've got faith on one side and, and having grown up in an inclusive church. I mean, y- you got married in the church yeah. that you grew up in, didn't you? And I was there and it was it was a very inclusive. I didn't feel as a non-Christian that yeah. anyone was going to judge me. It was very nice. I mean, we, we actually had conversations with the minister about that. So my husband and I spoke to him prior to the wedding and said, you know, look, we have friends from all sorts of different backgrounds. For some people, this will be the first time they've been in a church in a very long time. And a lot of them have had very negative experiences at church um, we want our wedding to feel really inclusive and we talked through with the minister about that and I, the th- he in turn told us what he was planning to say in his sermon um, and I was just so pleased because he, um, I mean I don't know if it's relevant, I mean this is Methodist church we're talking about whether, whether there is some distinction between denominations, I'd have to do more research but um, certainly he as a Methodist minister was absolutely echo- echoing my beliefs and my views and he was saying in his sermon he felt very strongly he wanted to talk about the fact that we'd chosen to get married because that was what felt right for us but lots of couples commit to each other in lots of ways so for some couples yeah. just moving in together that that's enough of a commitment they don't need to get married um, but I mean, me and my they, girlfriend have absolutely. been together for, coming up 12 years and, and we feel like we're you know lifelong partners yeah. and committed and all but I was, I was just so pleased that he went and he I'm sure you remember in his sermon yeah, did, did talk about that and said you know some people have civil partnerships he referenced some people get married some people just um, choose to live together and some people choose to get married and it's all the same expression of love and doing Mm. what's right for you and I was so pleased that you know I didn't know how that conversation was going to go when I started to have it but as I say my experience of people certainly within the Methodist church is very much that they are a very welcoming and inclusive <laughs> group of yeah, people exactly and, and and of course you know that kind of a church that we were in that is kind of a youth center is yeah, really that's a, right and a, a community center so there's that kind of thing feeding into this youth work but then I guess the other side that's fed into it is theater yeah because yeah. you've you did theater studies yeah. and I imagine that the kind of community feeling that you get doing theater growing up as a, as a yeah. uh, that's how I mean that that was a big part of my yeah. growing up you know like and I don't I'm sure you'll you will empathise um, with this, Dave. Sort of growing up, I was always um, a bit on the outskirts, really, a bit of an oddball, considered to be a little bit strange. Yeah, I do. Um, and it, to be honest, it never really bothered me. But I loved the fact that when it came to drama, you were allowed to be as weird as you wanted, and everybody thought it was strange, fantastic. Kind of invited. Like, it, yeah, like my, I used to go to like the local. The local sort of theatre had a Saturday drama class that I used to go along to and I loved it because when I was at school, you know, I was a bit of a nerd or whatever, or a bit of a geek and I was never one of the popular ones. But on a Saturday when I went to that drama class, that was like, everybody wanted to be in, in my group and people like wanted to just, because everyone was just so inclusive, you just wanted to share ideas and no one cared if you were wearing the right trainers or the right clothes or because it wasn't about that. It was just about, and it wasn't even about being a really good actor. It was just about making something together that kind of well, the thing I loved about the course at Lancaster University was um, all the stuff around devised performance and the fact that you can get a group of people together and share ideas and turn it into a performance and it isn't always about like I say being a fantastic actor it's about being creative and having fun and sharing ideas and 
learning from each other because everybody has such different life experiences and such different backgrounds and theatre is a place where everyone no matter who they are can bring those experiences together and share them and make something fabulous and and I love that (laughs) Um, I just think drama puts everyone on an equal footing providing you have access to it in the first place of course Um, but if you if you do and you're in an inclusive environment where you're allowed to just play is the word I would use because essentially I think that's what we do when we're devising pieces of theatre we're playing and generating ideas and having fun and being free to sort of express yourself without fear of being mocked or looking stupid or anything it's it's and I think people can get a lot of comfort out of that and often there doesn't even need to be a performance I mean that's the kind of for some people performance is sort of the buzz and that's sort of where they get the affirmation and they need that to sort of feel like a project or a piece of work has been really worthwhile but for other people the process is just as good like that process of creating something from nothing and knowing that you've done it is is enough and again in terms of drama therapy and things like that I think being part of a group as I said earlier I'm also a a really really keen singer I've sung from a really young age and I've always sung in choirs and I find something so therapeutic about group singing because not only I think it's really powerful like the when you can hear sort of all the different harmonies all come together and you're a tiny part of this bigger sound it's an amazing thing to be part of but it's non-competitive when you're in that group environment it's very supportive Mm. you're willing each other to do well it's not about the solos and the divas and people wanting to be stars it's about you as a collective group creating something beautiful yeah it's a great and, feeling yeah and i think that dr- drama and music both have the ability to sort of bring people together and make them feel part of something without making them necessarily feel exposed depending well, on what what it is you're doing and that's an inter- i mean that's a really interesting element of, of drama and performance or music or all of these things that i think people don't really think about because when you think about drama or music you think about people often think about people showing off yeah. people being the star and actually a lot of it is about getting rid of ego and, and actually not being the star, yeah. like learning that your role is to facilitate everything else. And I mean, you know, obviously there is an element of, of drama and performance that is about being a star yeah. and that's needed too. But as a, as a creative person, the old, you know, the older I get and the more embedded in these sort of, uh, this way of being, I, I get, the more I'm trying to get rid of ego, yeah, the yeah. more I'm trying to get get rid of this idea that, that that I have to worry about where I am and just you know just be comfortable within the community of what I'm creating. You know, yeah. whether it's a podcast or whether it's a, a band or whatever, it's 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 about going. Oh, hang on, it doesn't all have to be about me. Yeah, it can just be. I can and just be a part, a cog in the wheel. And it's great. You know? With in terms of theatre and music, I've done lots of work with young people using both song and drama techniques and doing different workshops and stuff. And young people absolutely love it and they get loads out of it and I've done projects where you know we haven't known what the end result's going to be so we've said at the beginning you know we're going to do some some drama work or we're going to do some singing and it can be just for us in this room or equally if you feel that there's something good and something you want to showcase then we can we can take it and we can put it on stage and people can come and watch it and um there's one project in particular, a singing one, where we had young people just came along and there was no audition, people just come along. If you if you want to sing, you enjoy singing, you come along and we'll just have some fun. The young people all said at the beginning, oh, I don't think we're going to want to perform anything, can we just do it for us? And just, yep, yeah, that's absolutely fine, whatever you want to do. As the weeks went on and their confidence built, 
there was a couple of them that were like, sure, it might be good to perform this. And then that sort of spread and spread until eventually we did do a performance and it was amazing and people came and watched and the young people were like, I can't believe I've like sung in front of all these people. And it was wonderful to see them sort of get that joy and that yeah. fulfilment out of that. And I think it really helped that there was no pressure. It was when they were ready and they felt, yeah, okay, we can share it. And from our point of view, we were saying, it doesn't matter if nobody sees it other than us. That's still an achievement in itself. Um, so as soon as that pressure was taken away, they were able to really thrive and really... Because a lot of the time, fear stops people from from being their best, if you like, and pressure stops people from being their best. So if you can take away the fear and the pressure, often you will find that people will then be better able to take the challenge and actually perform in front of people because they want to, not because they feel they have to. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's a, a fantastic thing, you know... I, what you're doing and it's, it's, in, it's really interesting to me how it's come from sort of faith and theatre mm. and these kind of things that I think are compatible it's an interesting thing you know when I've talked to people who, who have had faith sometimes they've also been theatrical people and it's, it's, it is interesting the con- connection between those two things which I don't think I ever would have realised when I was a kid mm. you do youth work but you're currently uh have a, a future young person inside your body In, of course yes um yeah. and we're at that stage where because obviously the baby's getting bigger it's getting very exciting because we're starting to be able to not just feel movements but see movements so it's a little bit like alien strange things sticking shapes and things sticking out of yeah. my abdomen which is quite bizarre but really really nice i really really like it i find myself getting very impatient if he's not moved for a couple of hours i'll be sort of prodding and <laughs> drinking really cold drinks to try and sort of wake him up and get him to wiggle around a bit just to you know reassure me that he's he's still alive and kicking right. and you know he's going to be a he we do yeah um, we, it's funny you know that's something that really evokes strong emotions in people so when people would ask us are you going to find out what you're having and we said yes some people would be really like oh yeah yeah, I, t- I totally I, I'd want to know but some people get really angry and are like oh I can't believe you're finding out oh that's awful no don't you shouldn't you mustn't you mustn't you mustn't find out um, it really needs to be a surprise and I was just a bit like, well, it'll be a surprise when they tell me. And mm. I was, we were just really excited. I sort of couldn't wait. I felt like I couldn't wait until um, we had him to find out. I wanted to know as soon as possible. And I also think, I mean, my husband really wanted to find out. And, I mean, I wanted, don't get me wrong, I wanted to as well. But because he so wanted to, I really liked the idea of something to help him bond with the baby. I think mm. him knowing it's a little boy just you somehow... Yeah. kind of personality. Yeah, because obviously I, I'm bonding all the time. I feel him and, and I know he's growing. So I mean, I talk to him all the time. It probably sounds very sad. I feel like I'm never on my own. So whatever I'm doing, I'm like chatting to him. So I'll be at work and, and if, particularly if I'm in particular positions, he'll sort of move and I'll be like, oh, sorry, it's not, not very comfortable and talking to him all the time. <laughs> Whereas I think for dads... They're a bit absent to all that, really. I mean, obviously, he can he can yeah. touch my stomach and he can feel him, but it's not quite the same. And I think knowing that it's a boy helps him to visualise that it's his son in there and helps him to bond, if you like. But I just I was really surprised by how strongly people felt about yeah, it. Yeah, people do feel. Yeah, because my view would be, you know, it's whatever's right for you. I completely respect that some people want to wait. Yeah, absolutely. I was very very surprised how sort of angry people were for, like like I say like I'm a better word people were really I can't believe you're going to find out oh no you really mustn't yeah. but uh, but yeah I don't I have no regrets about the fact that we found out at all I think it makes it all the more exciting yeah sure um, 
certainly makes it feel more real. Yeah. I was convinced he was a girl, by the way, until we had the scan and they told us he was a boy. Well, people have called it these ways that they yeah. reckon they can tell, don't they? They're like, if it, hang, if it, if it, ho- if it hangs at a certain angle yeah. or whatever. Well, I do, I think, in terms of the old wives' tales, accurate. now I'm a bit bigger, I do look like I'm carrying a boy because they t- say that you're supposed to carry boys at the front right, whereas girls right. are meant to spread out. So, But in the early stages, I was so, so sick and people say you get more sick with a girl, which is why I was... I'd, I was so convinced I was having a girl. People have theories about the hormones and all sorts of things and because I was really, really sick up until about 20 weeks. So, you know, there was three to four months of real sort of suffering. So I just convinced myself that, that he must be a girl and that that's why I was so sick because everybody yeah. said, if you're sick, oh, it's a girl. So um, it was quite a surprise when we found out he was a boy. L- lovely, neither negative nor positive. I didn't... I, I, I'd sort of in my head thought that he was a girl... But when they said he was a boy, my instinct was... I mean, I burst into tears, but not because I was upset. I think it was just the reality that, you know, you've got this amazing human being inside you and yeah. telling you that it's a boy just somehow made that all the more real, which might sound strange because obviously he'd been growing all that time anyway, but it just... it The reality that we're going to have a son, yeah. that, that you, I'm going to be someone's mother, and someone telling you, giving him that identity, just sort of made the whole thing feel very, very real. Yeah. And um, we're really excited. We hadn't bought anything up until that point, until we'd had that 20-week scan and knew that everything was okay. We'd sort of, you know, just wanted to be a bit reserved and just wait and see. And after that point, it just really felt exciting. Well, was, like, we could go and get Exactly. Started. Well, it is, that's the sensible thing to yeah. do, to wait, wait that time. I mean... So it's three months till yes. you're giving birth. Which everyone's like, oh, you've only got three months, but it fe- I feel like I've been pregnant forever. Uh, like, I'm yeah, so excited to meet him. And it just... So three months feels like an eternity at the moment. It seems like a really long way away. I mean, people have started the countdown for Christmas. He's due on December the 17th, and everyone's like, oh, it's going to be Christmas soon. And so in my head I'm thinking, wow, by the time it's Christmas, in theory, we should have our baby. That's yeah. crazy. But it can't. It kind of it can't come soon enough. But people, friends I've got who've had children have said, "Oh, don't wish it away. It's so wonderful being pregnant, and it's such a short time, and you're only going to do it, you know, a couple of times in your life. You know, just enjoy it." But it's so hard because you're just so eager to meet this little person that yeah. you've created. But uh, but not too eager. I always I say that, and then I feel like I need to um, touch my stomach and just remind him that I want him to be you know fully cooked in the middle before he comes out, so sure. that he shouldn't come too early. No, no, absolutely. <laughs> but I mean. <laughs> I mean, do you feel like, do you feel ready for this? Yes. Um, we, it is funny because we obviously, we had a conversation about children and we made a conscious decision that, you know, we would, we would try to get pregnant. Yeah. So there was a, there was a conscious decision there. And I was like, you know, in my head I was thinking, oh, well, it'll take a while to get pregnant. And then when you do get pregnant, you've got nine months to sort of get used to the idea and I sort of hadn't accounted for the fact that as soon as you become pregnant, your life is turned upside down. I really, it might sound silly to people, but I just hadn't thought about it. I'd thought, you know, oh, being pregnant, you know, you're just pregnant. And then nine months later, you have a baby. So it was a bit of a shock to the system when at sort of five weeks, I started to feel sick. And then that got progressively worse because that was really awful. So to put into context, from five weeks to about 19 weeks, all day, every day. I was either being sick or feeling really, really sick. So it just made it incredibly difficult to do anything. And it was really, really actually 
quite traumatic which sounds melodramatic but it was really depressing because you just I felt so so sick I missed my sister-in-law's hen weekend because I just physically could not go I was like literally just being sick I was best woman for my brother's wedding and I was like you know off being sick in the toilet and then coming back into the wedding and then going off and doing the speech and I sort of I hadn't thought about the fact that you know actually from as soon as you make this decision to have a child it's from then really that your life starts to change it isn't it's not when the child's born as soon as your body starts going through that process but then I feel like that's quite good preparation for motherhood, actually, because obviously once our little man comes along, our life is never going to be the same and he will he will come first and be, and rightly so, be the absolute centre of everything. So it's quite right that already my body is giving everything to him and I'm having to come second because I think that kind of helps prepare you. As I said at the beginning of the interview, I'm not sleeping well at all and I guess that must just be preparation for all those sleepless nights yeah. that are coming. So I think I had thought I'd had lo- I'd have longer to get used to the idea, if you like, whereas because pregnancy for me has been quite tough, I mean, I know some people are quite lucky, yeah. but because it's for me it's been variety. quite tough, I think that's made me sort of start preparing sooner and start thinking about it. And now I'm just really, really excited to meet him. I mean, I've always wanted to be a mum, like even from when I was really tiny, I can remember like I've always had an ambition of wanting to be a mum. And I feel... But it isn't about me. It's about me and Tim, my husband, as a couple, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I feel like we are very ready for this. I mean, me on my own, I'm quite sure that I would be a nervous wreck and terrified. But knowing I've got Tim by my side, yeah. I think we, we, I feel like we work very well as a team. So what I lack, he has plenty of. And what he lacks, I have plenty of. So between us, we sort of balance each other out. Sure, yeah. I think... Between us, I like to think that we will keep each other quite calm and relaxed and try and, you know, just take things as they come. I've got it into my head that relaxed parents have relaxed children, so I'm trying really hard to, like, you know, just let things flow and let it be and know that, you know, it's fine, our lives are going to be turned upside down, but that's okay. We just sort of try and get the balance between trying to focus and revolve around the baby but still maintaining our own identities and making sure that we have time for ourselves for each other for our friends all this is really easy in theory we'll have to see how it works in practice i mean you guys seem really ready yeah like you you seem very comfortable with the idea of motherhood and you're very like very good like in the background there's been a a baby crying kind of appropriately (laughs) um our friend's child and uh you're you know brilliant with him and you know, and and t- I think Tim's ready as well. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think so too. You know, one of the things about me and Tim is, you know, whenever I see Tim, I will, you know, take the piss out of him. But I, you know, I I, I love that guy, and he's yeah. he's, he's going to be a great father. He, w- I have no doubt that he will be an amazing father. Yeah. He he's Tim's anxious about practical things, but that doesn't worry me one iota because I know that when it's your baby, it's so different. When we have our baby, I know that he will. He will. He may be nervous at first. You know, the first time he dresses him, the first time he changes yeah, it's a nappy. Nerve, nerve wracking. They're tiny. Yeah, absolutely. Know. But I know full well that within a couple of days, it will be like you know, he's 
he's always the only reason that it's different is because I've been around babies for yeah. a really long time mm-hmm. my cousins have all got babies I was 15 when my little sister was born my friends have babies it's been really look we've been really lucky actually two of our closest friends have just had twin boys and um, so we've been around there sort of every other week helping them out which has been really good for Tim actually because it's reassured him that um you know babies aren't quite as frightening as as he thought yeah. he's really really excited yeah, um he seems to be yeah. I, the word I would use is giddy if I'm honest <laughs> like he, the first thing he'll do every morning is give my tummy a cuddle and sort of talk to the bump and equally as soon as he gets in from work he'll be like how's my boy and all sort of excited about the bump which is yeah. really lovely but I just I feel like we're at a place in our relationship where we're really ready for it I mean Tim is my best friend I think he's the most to me he's the most wonderful man I've ever met I think that he's wonderful and I think that we have a fantastic marriage and like nothing's perfect is it I'm not like but but I think that we have we both communicate very well and we're very honest with each other and I think as long as we continue to be honest with each other I think we'll do well and Tim worries about money more than I do I'm sure anyone who's a parent or going to be a parent will completely understand those concerns yeah I don't worry about that. I kind of think we'll live to our means, it'll be fine, it'll work out. And for me, I know that our son is going to have two parents who love him and love each other and we have a lot of shared values. We're very clear about, you know, the kind of sort of principles and ethics we'd like to pass on to our to our child as it were. And I think he's going to know that he's in a really safe, secure home and I don't think he's going to care if, you know, he's got money to go on flash holidays or to have you know really expensive clothes or things I don't, I don't think any of that matters he'll he'll be loved and he'll be safe and he'll be secure that is and, what I mean, that is what matters yeah I mean, and that's what in my view that is what matters and Tim and I are both really happy people which might sound up like we're both very positive people we're people we like to see the best in others and we see I really believe that people who who have the best outcomes are people who make the best out of the situations life gives them. And yeah. I think Tim and I are both like that. We're both very <clears> positive. Um, and Tim loves his job. He's a, he's a research scientist, which doesn't pay a lot of money, but he really enjoys what he's doing. Yeah. And I would much rather that our children grow up at a home with a dad who goes off to work smiling and comes home and talks passionately about what he does mm. than a dad who goes off to work and earns loads of money but actually really hates what he's doing and is like soul-destroying and really unhappy. And, yeah, well, I think you and, guys have got it going on and I think it's going to be, you know, great to see you with a family. It's very exciting. You know, I mean, and, and I think you're absolutely right. I mean, something I'm trying to do more and more is to be more positive and put more positive stuff out into mm. the world just because, well, there's enough negative stuff out there. Why yeah. not just put a positive out? And, you know, I'm pretty sure you guys will, will, will and I'm really looking forward to seeing you guys as parents, you know. It all sounds great in theory, doesn't it? Let's hope it, yeah, <laughs> let's well, hope it translates exactly. to practice. This is like three months before D-Day. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, it, so the last thing that I ask people is, do you have anything that you'd like to plug? Uh, I don't think I do, really. That's put me on the spot now. It's, um, a, it's a weird one. and pe- Most people sort of, people have taken it to be like a more general comments about mm-hmm. the world. Although I think you've put a lot of your more general comments about the world into this conversation. If I if I if I was going to leave people with anything, sort of my sort of view on life, I suppose I I'm someone who I suppose people will either love this about me or hate this about me. I don't tend to sit on the fence. I tend to be quite clear about what I think. And if someone says something I don't like, 
I will tend to, to challenge them. I'm very, I'm very clear that it is about challenging people's opinions, not challenging people, if you like. So, yeah. you know, I can dis, I can disagree with what you're saying without disliking you, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but I would really encourage more people to do that because I think that I forget who said it. It might have been Einstein. But somebody, there's a quote that goes something along the lines of evil triumphs when good people do nothing. And I really, really believe that because I think that most people in the world are very good people. But a lot of the time we're very afraid to be the best that we can be. And we're afraid to sort of stand up for the oppressed. And it's easier to just sort of say nothing. And I do think that it is a minority of people that want to harm others and want to do bad things and that are sort of you know, preaching messages of hatred or whatever, but if nobody challenges them, then that small minority will continue to do an awful lot of harm. So I just really encourage people to, you know, stand up for what's right, and if if you hear something you don't like, challenge it safely. (laughs) I'm not suggesting people put themselves in really dangerous situations, but um, particularly among your peers, because I think quite often in social situations... You hear people saying things and you let it slide. There'll be things that are slightly uncomfortable. And when it would be safe to actually say, do you know what, actually, I'm I'm not very comfortable with what you just said or I don't think I agree with that. And all too often people say nothing. And because, because sometimes challenging it is enough. It'll make that person go away and think about it. Even if outwardly they don't give you any indication they've listened to what you said, yeah. you, you can't possibly know the impact of you challenging it. Until you try it. Yeah. Absolutely. And you might find as well that, that they, there'll be a di- discussion then that will, will change both sides. You know, yeah. that, that actually if you don't challenge, you can't learn yeah. as well. It's, it's like a mutual... I mean, don't get me thing. wrong. I know that I probably need to wind my head in sometimes. I, I am guilty <laughs> of getting on my soapbox and I'm aware of that. That's and not, I am... I I, I, we were, I, I, you and I, I were chatting yesterday, it. yeah, that I... I sort of say I'm trying really hard to be more tolerant of intolerance because I always say I'm a really tolerant person but I'm really not tolerant of intolerant people yeah. and actually I need to be better at, like you were saying yesterday and um, when we were talking um, I need to be better at you know trying to understand where people's views come from to try and help challenge them rather than just getting angry or annoyed or writing that person off as a bigot or ignorant or whatever else. Yeah, but so. still standing up to yeah. them is important. Yeah. Even if we we do so by, you know, f- facilitated through trying to understand yeah. them, we need to challenge and they need to challenge us. Yeah. You know, that's, that's yeah. an important part of the human experience, I guess. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's really been a pleasure getting better acquainted with you. Yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, you know, I, I, I knew that you would have no trouble uh talking <laughs> um but it but it you know it's really nice and, and I, we don't we haven't really sat down much you know and talked very much and i i know that in in the <clears throat> social settings that we see each other in um the role i play is often you know um the loud one the loud one maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe the loud one but also the joke you know i i i, I you know, I publicly mock your husband a lot, and I know that you love your husband very much, and so do I. So sometimes I fear, oh no, she's going to misunderstand. Not misunderstand, at all. Not at know, all. He needs to be down. Well, he does. <laughs> <laughs> no, he doesn't really. I mean, that's the funny thing about mocking Tim. He doesn't bring it down. That's why he can do it because yeah. he, he can take it, and he he knows. You know, he's just such a he's comfortable within the world. You know, and that, that's, he's very comfortable in his own skin. It's one of the things I think is most attractive about him. 
Yeah. I mean, I always find it weird when you're talking about how attractive he is, but I totally recognise that that's how you feel, and I totally, uh, you know, I'm glad that you feel that way. Um, so the last thing that I ask people to do is to say, <laughs> is to say goodbye to the audience. Um, well, thank you for listening, and uh, goodbye. Yeah. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> So this conversation was recorded quite a few years ago now because Heather is pregnant. Her and her husband now have a son and she is currently pregnant again. Uh, And so they will have two children before too long. If you listen back to last week's episode, you can hear a conversation I had with Tim, her husband, which happened even earlier than this one. They were engaged then, so sort of time travel by listening back I know that both Heather and Tim and me have all had lots of life experience between these conversations and now I'm sure some of our positions will have evolved or changed there are many things that we've experienced both good and bad and it's interesting to look back at where we were a few years ago and see how far we've come what's changed where we're at One thing that hasn't changed, though, is that Heather and Tim are a really great couple of people with absolutely good intentions in the world, and that's something that I think is is a good thing. There were a few mentions of Christmas in this episode, which is seasonally appropriate and a bit of serendipity, really, because it wasn't planned, but that's a nice little bit of prep as we come up for the Christmas episode. So next week is going to be the fourth Getting Better Acquainted Christmas episode. It's not recorded yet. It's not edited yet. So I look forward to discovering what it's going to be with you. The Christmas specials has been something that I've always tried to sort of make interesting and also to reflect the variety of different ways that people might feel about Christmas, the positives and the negatives, the negatives and the positives. If you want to get really better acquainted with Christmas, there's three episodes from the last three years for you to listen back to too. So if you're wanting to get in the Christmas spirit in advance, or if you want to continue getting in the Christmas spirit after the Christmas episode, have a listen to those shows. So next week we've got the Christmas episode and then the week after that I will be taking my annual week off. So there'll be no getting better acquainted for a week over the Christmas period. But then in the new year, getting better acquainted will start back up again. You can find Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter, at UVA Podcast. You can find it on Facebook, it's Getting Better Acquainted. Have a search on Facebook and like it. Or you can find it on the website, www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk. You can also subscribe by searching on iTunes and subscribing to us that way. And on the Stitcher Smart Radio app download for your smartphone from stitcher.com or through the app store there are lots of ways to get better acquainted